black excellence is <laughs> sustaining to black people and sustaining to the world. Welcome to the Dripping in Black podcast, where we celebrate black excellence throughout the black diaspora. Here's your host, David V. Lewis. What's up, good people all across the world? This is the Dripping in Black podcast. I am your host, David V. Lewis. And as usual, we have another fantastic guest. Today's guest is Robert A. Murphy. Robert, say hello to the world. Hello to the world, especially Detroit. (laughs) Yes, sir. And uh, Robert has a very interesting story. He's one of our own. What I mean by that, he's an educator. Uh, Both Sean and I are educators by trade and educators at heart. And so he's definitely one of our own. So we're going to get into that. Um, and then he has a few other things up his sleeve that we will reveal uh, as we have our conversation. But per usual, we always start with a simple but loaded question of who is our guest. So who is Robert A. Murphy? Robert A. Murphy is simple yet complex. Um, mm. is is the product of a crazy union, but a beautiful <laughs> union. Okay. Um, he is a product of uh, of Detroit, Michigan, okay. uh, both the good and the bad. Um, okay. He is a product of his life experiences, and he is a product of the love of his family. Okay. So I want to jump right in with Detroit, Michigan, because you're not here any longer, right? No, I'm not. I'm not. Mm. I live in D.C., right outside of D.C. Yeah. So what, how does how is Detroit plan to your story? Detroit plays a huge role in my story. I mean, I was born there. I was born at Mount Carmel Mercy Hospital on, on Schaefer okay. and, I, and Outer Drive. Okay. You know, that's where I, that's where I started. And okay. we lived literally all over the city. Um, I lived, mm. I might be the only person that's lived on Finkel, six miles, <laughs> seven mile, and eight miles. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. That's... Plus, we lived yeah. other places, too. So, you know. It, oh, it, you're good in place... every hood, then. That's, that's almost yeah, a blessing. Yeah, the only place I ain't good is on the east side. <laughs> I ain't never had no east side experiences, but I, I've been west side all over the place. Okay. Well, when you come here, you can roll with me. I'm good in, on the east side. I'm, I'm oh, born and raised right, from the east work. side. Yep, yep. So they, they know me out there. If they don't know me, they better know me. just kidding just kidding just kidding all right and so as i kind of mentioned and alluded to uh you have a vast career in education so let's kind of walk the audience through your start in education and 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 the things of that nature honestly my start in education was because a because of my experiences in detroit with with my educational experience um i was always way ahead um mm. as far as my performance level like when i was in the sixth grade at emerson middle school i took the california achievement test and scored a freshman in college in reading comprehension and reading wow. and a uh and a freshman in college for my math comprehension and math score so for me school in detroit yeah was, you ain't never been on the east side then that's that's not <laughs> east side numbers <laughs> 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 there it is. So, so that's that's a part of it. Like, like being a black boy, and the expectations were a little bit different. They weren't necessarily high for me. 
Although I did mm. run into that when I attended Noble Middle School. Um, mm. okay, but yeah, the yeah. other part was, the other part of becoming an educator was, frankly, I had a baby that, that was born 11 days after I graduated from, uh, from Morgan State University. And mm. I had to feed her. And so that was actually how I got started in education. Mm-hmm. Okay. So where was your start at in education? So my start at was a um, a special ed uh, level five, six school. Um, it was mm-hmm. called Kennedy Creeker Institute. It's actually a part of Johns Hopkins, uh, Johns Hopkins University mm-hmm. Hospital. Um, and so I started there and actually fell in love with the position because part of my experiences in Detroit and part of just who I am as a person is I want to see us be the best us. Mm-hmm. And I had so many experiences in Detroit, and I know we'll talk about it in a little, little. I remember very vividly one of my one of my best friends growing up, and we had broken a window in his mother's cousin's car or something. Uh-oh. And I remember us <laughs> us telling our mothers and having such mm-hmm. a very different experience. Mm-hmm. I told my mom, "Hey, mom, you know, we just broke Lionel's, you know, mom's window," and she was like, "Okay, well, I'll call Miss Williams, and we'll we'll figure it out." Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember walking from his house and his mom is beating the crap out of him, calling him all kinds of names, <laughs> you know, calling him MFs, like all, it was just such a different experience. And so for me and in my neighborhood, we didn't have no fathers, like none of us mm-hmm. lived with our fathers. So yeah. for me, wow. it was it was not only the educational piece, but also the mentoring and fathering piece. Like I got to get these boys love because they ain't, they don't know. They ain't seen man love before. So yeah, that yeah, was yeah. kind of also what drove me and kept me in it. Quite frankly, so the friend's name was who? It was Lionel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lionel's mom was a lot like my mom. That's that's the kind of treatment I would have got. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. You know, bro, it, it was it was hard to watch because you know I, I remember and I put this in my book. Like I remember his head. Like I I was leaving. I was we lived literally at opposite ends of Greenview off of Seven Mile and um okay. <laughs> Seven Mile of Margarita. So. I live at one end of Greenview. He lives at the other end and he falls out of the door. And I just remember his mother having him by the collar and she's <laughs> calling him all kinds of names. And I remember we 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 caught eyes mm. and I just remember looking at him like, damn. And then there was a look of resignation, um, mm. embarrassment and humiliation mm. that I, I just I, my mother was rough, but she wasn't that kind of rough for me. Like I should yeah. never demean me as a human being. And mm-hmm. yeah, and it was, it was, it was total demeaning, dehuman. It was just bad, man. And I, I will yeah. literally never forget that in my life. I remember his face. Oh. I remember all of it. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think that's a little different than my experience. I I think whenever I got it, and I got it pretty good when I was uh, a youth, uh, I was well deserving of it. Uh, I was very understanding of what was happening. <laughs> uh, you know, there was no <laughs> There was no uh, resignation. It was more like acceptance of, uh, you know, what was to come and, and that kind of thing. And I think yeah. uh, I thank my mom for how she my mom, like you said, my father was not present. Uh, he was around, but he wasn't present, especially as far as the parenting. Mm-hmm. And my mom had uh, four boys. Okay. Uh, oh, my. I was I was the third of the four uh, third of the four boys. And uh, I had a brother that was just a year older than me. So me and him, we always ran to something. So. <laughs> Mm-hmm. you know but uh yeah that, that sounds like a different experience but you did mention this book so yeah. let's let's jump in right now about the book and we'll get back to what you're doing in education because i believe it all ties in so yeah. first give us the title of the book the title <laughs> of the book is niggas ain't astronauts <laughs> some people laugh and some people are like oh my god that's a horrible name 
Mm. Now, let me let me give a breakdown on the name. The name is something my mother said to me when I was six years old. I said, Mom, I want to be an astronaut. She looked at me just as plain and said, Bobby niggas ain't astronaut. She walked away. <laughs> and so the title, it, it is a discussion. End of, really, end like, of conversation. In the, yeah, in the conversation. Like there was no like, well, baby, you might be able to do it. Or, you know, well, you know, you, you know, you can go into the middle. Like there was no discussion at all. It was you ain't no astronaut. But but let me put it in context as well. I mean, my mother was born in 1939 and she had never seen a black astronaut. So in her mind, that was something that was outside of the purview of black people at the time. Now, I I learned a little bit later on. I'm six foot three, so I could be an astronaut anyway because I'm too big for the damn uh, the ship. (laughs) But but at six, I don't have that knowledge, obviously. At six, you weren't six foot three yet either. So no, 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 no. I was, I was husky as you know. They used to call you. You wasn't fat. You was husky back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So give me a a glimpse of what what the book is about, man. N- niggas ain't astronauts. <laughs> yeah, the book is about my my experiences in Detroit, my experiences in Grand Rapids. Kind of, it's it's kind of a coming of age story, but it also mm. gives the complexities of black fatherhood both my own and my father's, because while I talk about none of us had our fathers, my father always wanted to be a father, but Mm -hmm. there was some, my mother didn't want him to be my father. (laughs) And so there Mm -hmm. were some issues around his getting to see me, um, Mm -hmm. his interaction with me, um, Mm -hmm. the whole nine. There's a story I tell in the book about, you know, uh, when my grandfather died, my mother's father, I was extremely Mm -hmm. close to, like, that was my dude. And mm. my mother said, you know, your grandfather died. And I immediately had an asthma attack and I ended up mm. being in the hospital over at uh, over at uh, Mount Carmel. And wow. uh, my dad comes to see me in the hospital and he's like, uh, he's like, how you doing, son? And I'm like, who is this dude? Like, I'm I'm mm. literally looking at my, my my biological father like, what is this dude? He must mm. be my friend or something. And mm. he's like, do you know who I am? And I was like, no. And he said, I'm your dad. And I was like, what? Like how you, you my, like my mom got a boyfriend that we call Daddy Bob. So how are mm-hmm. you my dad? And I just mm-hmm. remember my father being crushed. Like you could see mm-hmm. the 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 hurt on his face. Mm-hmm. And my father, we're we're Caribbean, so we're from Trinidad, you know. So mm-hmm. there's this whole thing Caribbean folk got around their boys, mm-hmm. and especially the men and their sons. And mm-hmm. I, I remember my father just being very disturbed when I said that. And then after saying that, he just he gave me his gift, which was some. Hulk underoos and he rolled out and I didn't see him again for probably another <laughs> year. Hospital again. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I'm still looking for the niggas ain't astronauts uh carrying through. So it 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 gets brought up to you when you have this aspiration at, as a youth, mm-hmm. but you name it the title of the book for a mm-hmm. reason, right? So tell us a little bit more. Partially because there's all of this discussion about who black boys are and who they aren't. Um, And my belief, and I speak about this, you know, growing up in Detroit is the vast majority of my friends and even myself, we just wanted to be kids. We just wanted to go play football, play basketball, go to school, get our grades, Mm -hmm. talk to a girl, go to go to Northland, go to Fairlane, whatever it is and do whatever. We didn't want to get involved in all this other stuff. And so the niggas ain't astronauts pieces all of the external factors that play into mm. why we don't get where we probably should be yeah. uh, and how there are so many barriers, particularly for us in specifically, and I, I won't necessarily say it's only African-American males, but mm-hmm. I will say that for us in these urban environments is tough. Like yeah. I remember, I've been shot at six times. 
I was been shot mm-hmm. six times while I was 20 years old. Nah, that's I some remember. Eastside talk right there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, I mean, we were evic- so there was a lot of things that that happened in my life that that mm-hmm. could have prevented me from being where I am. And you know, instead of using those things as instead of using those trauma experiences as fuel to destroy, mm-hmm. I, I I changed those things and became fuel. They became fuel to grow. And yeah. for me personally, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of. It was really weird because I, I, I talk about niggas ain't astronauts, but like in my family, I had four uncles that I was primarily raised with and they were all mm. involved, you know, taking me to games. I was going to Tiger games, you know, mm. this, that, and the other. And um, and they were all very successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so it was like, OK, niggas ain't astronauts, but I got these uncles that are that that are really do- like doing it. Like my uncle's yeah. making six figures in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's like wait this doesn't really make sense you know yeah, at least yeah. from my you know my mother's perspective so it's just the, to me the constant kind of push pull that specifically African American men and males have in America in that we're told this is who we are but yeah. we're we're a diverse group of people you yeah, know I man. talk about my experiences even with music how you know I like rock I like mm-hmm. guitar like I, mm-hmm. you know I, I still let's do it mm-hmm. now but mm-hmm. you know growing up in Detroit that wasn't necessarily you you couldn't say that yeah. out loud <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about yeah 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 oh yeah I had uh I'm, I'm, I'm trying not because it's so many places I want to go yeah. um trying not to derail where I'm going but I had a neighbor who was uh along with my older brother he loved heavy metal mm-hmm. and you know so you get labeled you know you're kind of a weird dude if you love yeah. heavy metal as a black kid yeah and uh you know where i was thinking about when you were talking is it, it's really part of uh what we're doing at dripping in black is dispelling this idea that you know the vast majority of black people especially black males are thugs right that's yeah. what you would think if you if you grow up in america outside of our communities you would think well damn uh, you know, you had to be in some kind of thug type of uh, environment growing mm-hmm. up and your friends had to be thugs and, you know, you had to have some kind of street experience or something like that. The vast majority of us do not have that experience. Mm-hmm. We know some people mm-hmm. that live that experience, but the vast majority of our friends, cousins, relatives, mm-hmm. all of that are not those people. And mm-hmm. I find it interesting, like you said, from your your mother's mouth, niggas ain't astronauts. And that speaks to the the depth of the brainwashing mm-hmm. that we aren't these things when, mm-hmm. like you said, right around you, you got people, maybe we're not astronauts, but they're doing, they're some, doing well. some, some well, th- some things that, uh, that are very successful, right? Yeah. And to your, to your point about the thug thing, and I don't, I mean, you guys are educators too. For me, it, <clears throat> I respect the work that people have done around trying to tell our story. But my problem with with the books yeah. that have been told about our story is that all of them involve gangbanging or street or going to jail. And yeah. I specifically wanted my book to not be that. I wanted yeah. it to be about the average black boy who was growing up in a city that was changing before his eyes. Yeah. And even about, you know, myself, like I remember being in Detroit and being a boy and not really thinking about anything. And I remember when I hit kind of this height threshold, all of a sudden I was looked at as a threat by everybody. And it was just mm-hmm. like, wait, man, like I'm still a little, little husky boy that likes, you know, eating yeah. violators and, and, you know, playing with cars. But it yeah. just it didn't happen that way. I mean, for us, it we it changed. Yeah. Great, great segue into education. Right. Because you yeah. can imagine 
how how our boys are viewed when they walk in a building. And especially if they're not met with somebody from the same type of culture, can see themselves in them, which mm-hmm. is typically the case with our kids, right? Yeah. They are really met with people that don't really understand who they are and that they are really still just kids, even with mm-hmm. the outward appearance mm-hmm. that media has told you makes them some kind of street or some kind of danger to society, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your educational journey from you were a special ed teacher and you moved on up the ladder, right? So yeah, I did. Walk us through that. So so I started off as a teacher. Um, actually, I started off as a teacher's assistant. That was my original job. I was a para. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were some people who saw potential in me and were like, well, you know, we want you to kind of move into this role work on, you know, we'll get you certified, we'll get you certified to teach, you know, but we want to, we want to put you in some leadership positions. And so I was put in those positions. So then I became like a coordinator in my building. I coordinated the after school program. And then I left there um, and started teaching at the juvenile justice facility, which was a totally different experience. Um, And what happens in those facilities is just, it's yeah. deeply disturbing and it's it's deeply disturbing for a lot of different reasons. We don't really I don't think have time to discuss that right now. But yeah, yeah it and I yeah, I could tell you some stories about that experience. So anyway, left yeah. that um, became executive director of the Salvation Army Boys and Girls Club of Baltimore City. So I had like five different clubs under my supervision, about 2000 kids. I need to get, take mm-hmm. a break from education because it was pretty intense for me at the time. Yeah. And then uh, stayed there for about three years then went to got kind of rejuvenated to go back into education. So I became an assistant principal at an alternative school, loved it, mm. loved my kids. But the one thing that I think for me was, well, what's the turning point for me was uh, my own daughter. I remember being, I always poured myself into my kids. I give them everything for me. Like I, I'm going to be at your games. I'm, I'm your daddy in the building. Mm. And I, t- I tell my kids, like when you're in this building, you're my child. And I, I treat mm-hmm. you as such. And I expect as such. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a really great experience, but I remember coming home one day and my daughter was talking to me and I don't, she talked to me for about 10 minutes. I don't remember anything she said. And I was like, wow. So I am mm-hmm. listening to other kids problems all day long. My baby yeah. trying to tell me something. I don't, I I've checked out. And yeah. that was the moment when I said, I need to get out of the building. And that was when I moved on to the state, Maryland state department of education. Wow. Oh man, that's powerful. You know, uh, that, that is the job, right? You, you pour so much into the job. When you get home, you just want to be home, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You want you want your woo-saw moment. You want your time to relax. And then there's people at home that need you to be at your very best as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that is the challenge of an educator. Yeah. 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 And that's my baby. I mean, that was my baby. So like, mm-hmm. as I always told, like you, I created you. Like, it's my responsibility to be everything that I need to be for you. I don't want to hear yeah. when you 20 something. Oh, my daddy wasn't so and so. He wasn't this. Yeah. No, if you got issues, it ain't going to be because of me. Let's just, let's just be yeah. that. That was the father that I wanted to be because I, I know that's what the father, my father wanted to be to me. So, yeah. yeah. So I want to dial back to alternative ed. Describe to the audience what that is, because we know we toss these words around, but yeah, it's not true. necessarily things that people understand. So what what is an alternative ed program? So an alternative education program is simply a program that it can be in, in based in the school. Mine was a separate for a separate site, but it can be based in the school. What ends up happening in the types of students who get sent there are the students who are struggling with behavior, who are struggling with attendance, 
who are struggling possibly even with work. Um, they aren't necessarily doing very well in the traditional school environment. So they get moved to an alternative program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And so you have a foray into alternative ed and eventually you step out and go up to the state level and yes. at the state level, you have some major success. You have, you have the receipts, right? So yes. this, what, what role did you serve or roles did you serve at the state level? And tell, tell the word about world about your receipts as well. So what's funny is that I was a program specialist. I wasn't even a program manager or whatever, but mm-hmm. because of tenacity, because of vision and because of commitment, um, I got these really large projects that were put in my lap or fell into my lap. And mm-hmm. the superintendent was like, Robert, do your thing. Like, I respect your work and I know you, I know you know what you're doing and I don't worry about you. And mm-hmm. so I end up rewriting the state's alternative education regulations so they are more inclusive um, of all students um, and not mm-hmm. as, as uh, I'm trying to use it, not as negative and as punitive as they mm-hmm. were prior to um, my authoring. And then I also authored the Maryland Code of Discipline. It's for the Maryland public schools. All 1,400 Maryland public schools abide by this code of discipline. I led mm-hmm. a work group of 40, 47 um, stakeholder groups from advocates to teachers to unions to all those, and as well as some some district superintendents. Um, we put together a really great product, and our state board adopted that in 2014. Um, as well as I did some other things, I created this thing called the Dropout Resource Guide. Essentially, it was a uh, about a two or three hundred page document that basically highlighted best practices in dropout prevention, what each district was doing. And I say all that to say, so the receipts are when mm-hmm. I led the discipline work, we we cut suspension by fifty percent in the state, out of school suspension by fifty percent, in school suspension by thirty or forty percent. Specifically for African Americans, we we cut suspension for. African-American students by, I think, 54% or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the challenge was, and this is what people don't sometimes understand, like a district can have a, a disproportionality going on or disparate uh, data. Mm-hmm. But like in our case, like we, we lower suspension for white kids at 67% and then for black kids at 51%. So mm-hmm. the disparities look worse than they actually were. I cut mm-hmm. 25,000 kids off the black suspension rolls. Mm-hmm. I only cut like 6,000 or 8,000 white kids. But when mm-hmm. you looked at the actual number, the mm-hmm. number looked like we we hadn't really done any work, but we actually had done a lot of great work. So that's just a word to the wise. When you start looking at this data stuff, make sure that you're you're comparing apples and apples and not apples and oranges or apples and plums. Yeah, that's a, that's a segue. I, I got a whole little uh, skit lined up for you because, you know, I know that all these great ideas uh, people were uh, standing up and cheering with open arms. You faced no real challenges. You just rolled out your <laughs> rolled out your ideas, and people said, "Where you been all my life?" And thank you for coming into education and fixing these problems that existed for years. Is that how your story went, or was it a little different? <laughs> yeah, it was a little different there, brother. Uh, I remember my very first presentation on on this conversation on on mm-hmm. school discipline in general. I was in a district in Maryland. I, they will go unnamed. And <laughs> I was doing a presentation and they were, dude, they were straight heckling me. They were like, well, this mm. don't make no sense. And, you know, this data don't make no sense. And I was like, well, wait a minute. How does this data, well, this data don't make no sense. You know, I was like, well, wait a minute. Let me, let me explain something to you. The data I'm reporting is the data that you reported to us at the state. So if there's a problem, <laughs> it's your data. The problem, <laughs> it's, your... it's your data. So the problem <laughs> lies, it, it's internal. 
And I was just pointing, <laughs> you know, showing them some things like, you know, you've got in three years, you suspend more kids in middle school than you do in four yeah. years of high school. That's a problem. Yeah. Now we yeah. can talk about what that is. Now, the great thing yeah. was when I started to work in 2010, I probably had about four or five districts that were on board. By the time I got done, I really had all 24 districts on board. And frankly, wow. when I left, people were calling me and texting me like, yo, Robert, like, what is the state doing? There were some other things going on behind the scenes um, politically that I didn't have any control over. Um, mm, but yeah, people, people, I mean, literally white and black people are calling me like, yo, like, what are they doing? Like all this great mm. work you did, you know, like, what are they doing? Why are they screwing it up? Like they didn't go far. Like literally people said you, they didn't go far enough. Yeah, that was what I heard from the district. So I, I'm a believer that you can get people on board, but it takes yeah. the right leader. It takes the right person. And you got to be able to hear both sides of the argument. And that's where I think sometimes people struggle. We get on this. We get these blinders on about our particular issue. And yeah. I, I'll give you an example about blinders like the advocates were like, well, we, we shouldn't suspend kids for being drunk in school. They should be able to participate in, in class. And I was like, that doesn't even make like that doesn't make sense. They were like, yeah, well, it does <laughs> make sense. If we so they were they were <laughs> hellbent on this this point being it needed to stay in our safe code, mm. and I was like, you know, let me let me let me give you an example. Okay, your argument is we should keep kids in school who are on drugs. Let's say Mr. Murphy has a shop class, and this kid comes in, he's high, and he's mm. playing with the saw. He cuts off his finger and somebody else's finger. Now the district's on the hook because ain't nobody. And I'm not saying we need to suspend the kid, but we mm. definitely need to remove the kid. And have the parent comment. So that was one of the things. Like it's both sides, you know. There's mm -hmm, some extremes yeah. on, you know. So anyway, yeah, that was that was one of the real. I, I remember one of the kind of like the school district, like this doesn't make any sense. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I agree with you. And so we moved forward on that. Yeah, the precariousness of urban schools, where you know the shift in one person leaving the position for right a, a, a variety of reasons why they may leave. And if that if that position is not filled properly, mm -hmm. uh, the direction that that can cause the entire work that has been done prior to head, yeah. man. Yeah, that's yeah. real, man. That That is real. That's real. Yeah, I think that's an issue uh, we really have to dig down to because it's a lot about systems, right? It's, it's, it's people, but then it's having systems and infrastructure in place so that when those people leave, those things can continue and, and are sustainable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the one thing I will say. I, I actually thought that it would be more sustained when I left. And what I found out is that, is that it wasn't like, I remember literally sitting in, uh, sitting in a meeting with my, this was a new superintendent that I didn't necessarily have the, uh, uh, the best rapport with. Cause she, I, we, I remember when she got there, she said, Oh yeah, I know your name. And I was like, well, what, how do you know my name? She's like, I, I've just, I've heard some things about you. And I was like, I mean, good or bad. And she was like, oh, no, they were all good. And I was like, yeah, you took a little bit too long to say they were all <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. The need for sustainability and developing some type of sustainability plan, um, even while people are immersed in the work, so the work doesn't get lost. Yeah. So I would imagine in the role that you're currently serving, that's part of what you're doing, right? So you're the founder and president of Co Comprehensive Discipline Solutions, right? So let's yes. tell the audience about that. What is that? We are an education slash human services consulting company. 
Um, we do everything from after school programs. Um, mm. uh, but yeah, that we we do trainings. We do we go deep dives in schools. We do assessments on programs. We do kind of program objectives. Like I don't. There's really not much that we we don't do um, in mm. relationship to schools and or programs um, because the need is there. And mm. uh, yeah, I mean the need is there. So. Yeah, we, we do a lot of work. I mean, there's a website. I, I think you guys have the website. If not, I'll send it mm-hmm. to you. But yeah, we there's a lot of work that needs to be done specifically in our communities around schools and schools in both the kids way perspective, but also in the parents way. So people kind of know what they should be looking for and what to expect. Um, I think that's actually one of the biggest challenges, in my opinion, for African-Americans in school. Um, and I, I was on a panel this weekend discussing this. Public education in America is to give us basic skills. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. It's not to educate us. It's not to empower us in the militant black power. It's not. That has to yeah. come from home or that has to yeah. come from that school program. Yeah, man. In my opinion, too much is being thrust into public education as far as expectations. Like you're supposed to. I, I remember I said this this weekend. Like the only thing we don't do is feed. Like we don't we don't have children. But we do. Mm-hmm. We clothe them. We feed them. Yeah. We educate yeah. them. We give them morals. Mm-hmm. We give them values. Yeah. We, you yeah. know, we everything. We give them aftercare. We give them before care. Like, yeah, they're they're they're. We have to understand public education for what it is, and yeah. provide the supplemental resources that that we need to provide on our end. Man, you are preaching to the choir. But I do know there's the audience out there that will say, well. Uh, if you're in communities, disadvantaged communities, uh, lower income communities, they come with these problems. So how are you possibly educating them if you're not addressing those problems? How would you respond to that? I would say we actually still are educating them, but I would suggest that, you know, these aren't the only group of black kids that have problems. I mean, you think about our grandparents, you think about even our parents, like they Mm. all have problems too, but the expectation Mm. was come to school, learn, get your education. Yeah. Um, and that for me as a career educator for the last 28 years, that's that is a little bit different. It's a different vibe that I'm yeah. having now with parents than I had when I first started my career. When I used to start when I started my career, I'd call home. They'd be like, OK, what what happened or what did you do mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. when I call is what you do? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And literally, I, I have a story Um, when I was a director of student services, we one of my guys called a mother and let her know, like, yo, your son needs to come to school or we got to go to truancy court. And the mother calls me and says he was rude and he was nasty. And so I was like, OK, well, I don't I don't I don't I don't take that. My people are not nasty. I don't believe in that. So mm-hmm. I called the mother mm-hmm. in for a meeting and she tells me she don't like like nobody calling her her uh, t- calling her to tell her about her son. Like, don't ever mm-hmm. call me about my son. Don't you, I don't care. Don't I mean, it was this whole thing. And we like we just trying to let you know, like he he going to go to truancy court. We don't want to see you in court. And she just like, I said what I said, just stormed out. And I was like, wow, okay, so this is what we're doing now. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it, the, I don't know about you guys, but I, in my my experience in 20 years, I've seen a different kind of parent kind of evolve or come to the table. I, so I'm, certainly not all. I'm not suggesting all, but yeah. it is a different, it's a different environment. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, rematriculated uh, as a youth through those schools as well. And so it was a different day and age when we were in there. You know, mm-hmm. and even, you know, and like you said, even in your experience as an educator, but as a student and being in that role as a student and then having to answer to our parents, that was a different day and age. Oh, yeah. You know, just the fact, 
you know, I don't even remember ever coming to my mother and complaining about a teacher. That was nothing you would do. You know, mm-hmm. mother don't want to hear about your complaints and your ideas about teachers. Maybe <laughs> I'll share that with my friends, but my mother could care less about what, you know, how I feel about a teacher. You know, yeah. that was never, you know, and I don't know if that's bad or good, to be honest, you know, as as we uh, evolve as a people and as we get more freedoms as a people, some of those are the consequences of freedom. Right. Yes. Some of those are the consequences of a more privilege. Right. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing or a good thing, but it is a thing, though. Right. It absolutely is. I mean, I, I had an experience when I was at Noble. Um, my mom, uh, my, my one of my I think my social studies teacher, Susan Clark, I'll never forget her name. <laughs> Susan Clark called my house on a Saturday morning. And I just I didn't hear the conversation. I just heard my mother saying, you know, oh, 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 really? Oh, really? <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Clark. And I just remember that door flying open and her, you know, nah, 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 nah. And you better get your damn grades up. I'm going to light your ass up, you know. And, mm-hmm. then, and then, you know, I went to school Monday, you know, Monday afternoon. was like, Ms. Clark, can I have some extra work? She was like, yeah, how was your weekend? How was your weekend? <laughs> yeah, you the know? mom so, on yeah. the phone, oh, oh, really, is never, oh, oh really? Oh, okay, really, really. Uh, that's, 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 that's never a good thing. Yeah. All right, man, so. I think we better we better move on. Uh, I feel like I could talk to you. You know, like I said, you one of ours, and we could chit chat about education forever. I do want to uh, see if we tapped into what you do in terms of consulting work. Did we did we get into that, or do you have a little more you want to share with regards to that? I do. Uh, so so probably one of my biggest things. Actually, I've I've been doing this. I just did something in Nashville uh, Tuesday, um, and I'll be doing something in another state next week and some. Is uh, is the notion of trauma? Um, I have a belief. You know, there's a conversation about black people, and it, it may not. They may not say it's about black people, but there's always this conversation about poverty. And poverty is the reason. And poverty this. And poverty that. And mm. I'm not dismissing that the lack of mm. resources, financial resources, impacts. You know, the way you can kind of live your life. That's not what I'm saying at all. What yeah. I'm saying though is that I, my personal belief. Um, and I think it would be backed up by data is we have a culture of trauma in America mm. and specifically black America that mm. we all live under. And it creates these kind of unnatural norms and kind of irregular norms. Like yeah. I remember talking to my, my cousin who's from Flint and he was like, yeah, you know, so-and-so just too nice. Mm. And I remember hearing the same things when I was in Detroit mm. and one of my mm. best friends in the world, um, yeah. I met when I moved to Grand Rapids, he was just, he introduced himself. And I was like, who, who is this punk talking to me? Like, who, who you know, what, what, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to gain? You know, like, you know how we roll. You, you know how we roll. <laughs> There's this whole guard thing that we have up. That, no that doubt it, about it, man. Impacts our ability to, impacts our ability not only to exceed as people, as individuals, but collectively mm. as people, it impacts our yeah. ability to grow and to bond and to be unified and to be all of those things. Yeah. And so it's just kind of this almost, I, I call it like an internal self-destruct mechanism. Like as soon as you, it's not, I'm, I'm not suggesting that happens all the time, but I know for me growing up in Detroit, it was, you know, you, you, you giving people the side eye. And mm. I, I'll tell you a quick story. My wife and I were in Palm Springs, California. I was doing a thing out there and we had lunch on the main strip. And so Detroit taught me, I'm always peeping at threats. <laughs> where the threats at, where the exits at, where's the safety yes. at? Literally, that's yes. that's how my mind is. And 
you know, we're having lunch. So we're going you back. You had to, to be party. around. You you had to have been around some East Siders. I mean, that that <laughs> that's you know, that's East Side 101 right there. <laughs> that's West Side 101, too. Okay. So, okay. So so I, I said, so we're driving back to our, our room and I say to her, I say, Oh, honey, that's the guy that was downtown. She's like, how 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 do you know this? <laughs> and it hit me like like this is the Detroit. Detroit is still embedded in my in my in my behavior in that yeah. I'm always looking to see where the threats are, where the exits are, whether it's she and I are together, or I'm with my daughter, or the three of us yeah. are together. I'm always trying to make sure everybody is safe. And that to me is a reflection of that quote unquote culture of trauma that we've all experienced. Um, those, particularly those of us who've grown up in urban environments. I mean, when I went to Morgan, a lot of my friends talked about their experiences in LA and mm. Philadelphia and New York. And mm. it was very, we had very similar experiences as okay. far as the violence and the guns and the drugs and all those other things. So yeah, that that is, that's probably one of our biggest things is, is this whole notion of not the culture of poverty, but the culture of trauma and realizing yeah. that we are all impacted by it, specifically us as black men, because we don't really have avenues that allow us to talk and to sort through it. Um, mm. You know, we got, we got our friends. I'm not suggesting that we don't have friends who might help us through it, but yeah. there is no larger platform for us to 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 discuss that. Yeah, man. Again, dangerous uh, hearing you talk because I I got so many places I can go with it. I'm really thinking about the Willie Lynch uh, syndrome that that our people face, and I know Willie Lynch is a myth, but yeah. you know the, the 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 things associated with it are not mythological you know we see those things and, and the self-refueling of distrust in our community mm -hmm. is definitely one of those things but you know like I said we will be here forever and <laughs> neither one of us have forever to be yeah. here uh talking on zoom so we want to give you an opportunity to uh drop any uh uh social media or anything that people can reach you out reach out to you for and support you in all the work that you're doing so go ahead and drop that for us so I am absolutely horrific at social media. Like I have, like I got a Facebook page that's literally my name. That's that's the only, only social Me media I got. I'm sorry, I'm on LinkedIn too. Those are the those are the two places. Facebook and LinkedIn are the places I exist. Mm -hmm. um, I stay away by and large from social media. If I do post anything, typically it's to LinkedIn or it's to Facebook. I don't I don't mm -hmm. typically get involved with the the gram and all those other things. Um, <laughs> they just they just don't work for me. I I don't have the yeah. I just yeah. I think the way you even the way you even calling it is probably not uh the way they I think they call the IG or something, you know. And oh, I'm not on IG. That's my We're one and the same. We're one and the same. My my foot, you know, my name is on my Facebook page and I don't really get on it that much. And you know, I'm not very good at it and that kind of and I'm on LinkedIn as well. But I think what I want to make sure is if somebody wants you to come to their school and speak, if somebody wants your consultant service. Where do they go for those things? Okay, so there's two websites. Um, there is the first, which deals with my book with Nick, Nick Zane Astronauts. Uh, it mm -hmm. is Hartwell, H-A-R-T-W-E-L-L, -L, the letter X and the number mm -hmm. three dot com. Hartwell X number three dot com. And then the other one, which is for Comprehensive Discipline Solutions, is Tracy's.com, T R E. Y C S T R E Y C S dot com. And mm -hmm. both of those places, if you want to get in contact with me, you want me to come somewhere, you want me to speak, um, yeah, you just you can reach to me on those things, as well as I think my my 
I, yeah, you guys have my email as well. Um, so yeah, those are probably the three best ways to kind of, if you want to get in contact, to contact me. Okay, and it's okay if we share the email uh, in our yeah, absolutely, absolutely. episode as well. Okay, yeah, that's absolutely All right. excellent, excellent. All right, I've I've lofted enough softball questions at you. Now it's time for the most <laughs> difficult question that we pose to each and every one of our guests. You ready? Yes. <laughs> Have you ever been on the cover of a magazine? Have I? I don't think I've ever been on the cover of a magazine. I've been on the cover of a newspaper and obviously in my okay. book, but um, mm -hmm. but not a magazine. Okay. So you put yourself on the cover of your book and that's great. And you've been in a newspaper before. Has it been the cover of the, uh, the newspaper? You know, I don't honestly, I don't I don't even remember. It was it was so long ago. I honestly don't remember. I'll give you a, a quick thing of the uh, of the book, <laughs> a quick picture of the book. Because mm. I people people joke me about the picture. <laughs> so, you know, if, if folks go to purchase the book, this is what the book looks like. You got like. the full part working. I see you. <laughs> full part, full perm, uh, hot comb to my hair. My mom checked me up. But, yes, you know, indeed. it is what it is. It, that was it's it's gonna it's gonna come back at some point. You know, they always do. <laughs> this ain't come back, doctor. This, this not not for us. Well, you never know. Uh, the stuff they're doing with science and everything, you never know. But you know, if it has to come back naturally, it's it's not coming back for us. All yeah. right. So one of the things that we like to do for all of our guests is place them on the uh magazine cover, the dripping in black magazine cover. And so we have one for you. My uh, executive producer, S squared, Sean Smith, is going to show you yours. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. <laughs> All right, and that is a thank you, and that is a parting gift that we will uh, laminate, ship out to you at a later date uh, as a big thanks for, for stopping by the Dripping in Black podcast. Appreciate it, brother. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. This was fun. We appreciate you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had uh, my producer mentioned in the in the chat that you can come back. We're going to definitely have to get you back on because there's Absolutely. so much more. We just started peeling the orange and there's so much yeah. more there for us to get into. And so I'll be looking forward to that discussion. But any shout outs you want to give before we close this thing out? Shout out to my lovely wife, uh, Crystal Morris Murphy, and a shout out to my baby girl, Kai Denise Murphy. Yeah. Absolutely. And my uncles and aunts and, and family, because they are I'm not here. I'm not talking to you without them. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We want to thank Robert A. Murphy for stopping by the Dripping in Black podcast. We also want to remind you that the DIBK Drip Shop is open. Go to DIBKDripShop.com to cop the latest Dripping in Black merch. As you can see, I'm representing with the red Dripping in Black original tee. So this and a lot of other uh, merchandise is available for you at DIBKDripShop.com. And as always, a huge thanks to all of our listeners, viewers, supporters, and subscribers. And until next time, be kind, be loving, and be excellent on purpose. It is a choice. Amen. Up next on the Dripping in Black podcast, we speak to 2023 Miss Rodeo, Michigan, Kalila Smith. Why don't you step? Why don't you guys step into fields that 
are not really populated with people of color, African Americans. They like because we don't see ourselves there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's where I took my Radio Queen title, and I'm like, I got you. Yeah. That's when I was like, I'm gonna step on this podium, and I'm gonna be the punching bag, whatever. I'm. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to be in the spotlight, I'll take that first thing, and so you can come along and be like, hey. I've seen someone do it. I can do it as well. You have just experienced a Dripping in Black production. Enhance your business or brand by creating a podcast. A podcast can spread your product or expertise and passion to the world. A few benefits of podcasting are it builds a personal connection, increased traffic generation, and builds more brand authority. Dripping in Black Productions is equipped to manifest your vision to a viable tool for your business or brand. Anything from creating a sizzle reel or a full video audio production of your podcast, big or small, Dripping in Black Productions can support your needs. Contact us at www.dibkproductions.com for a free initial consultation. Synthesize thoughts and create masterpieces is the mantra of Dripping in Black Productions. And we don't stop.